Hi, and welcome to the Pet Healer Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Mitzi Vargas, and today we're going to talk about dun, 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 CBD oil. So CBD oil, there's good news and bad news, right? With CBD oil actually works for dogs in certain conditions, and I want to be um, specific in where do I actually prescribe CBD oil or help or ask people to try it. And uh, the bad news of this is that the industry is totally unregulated. Even our local gas stations sell CBD <laughs> chews and oils for pets. And of course, you know, when you look at it, it has all sorts of um, chemicals in it. And so, of course, we have to be very, very um, careful with what you buy for CBD. But as to does it work, it does. Not only do we as humans have receptors for um, that molecule, the uh, cannabinoid molecules, we have receptors for them. The dogs also have receptors for them. So that means if we have receptors, that's our body can prepare for it to handle it. So that means that we can uh, give CBD to pets and there's got to be a physiological effect after doing so. Um, a lot of the great uses of CBD in people are for um, sleep. A lot of people that have uh, insomnia can't sleep. Um, some people use it for appetite, especially geriatrics that are really sick. Um, many people use it for pain. And some people that are very vocal use it for seizures. Um, and so the seizure use of THC containing um, products, it's one of those uh, the misinformation out there and where people want to use those products in the dogs without knowing that THC, that compound, is toxic for dogs. And so the hemp, when you look at the hemp, um, and then when it says CBD full spectrum, stay away from it. Full spectrum means that it contains THC. So the other ones that are do not contain THC, those are the ones that we want to look for. We want to look for organic. Uh, that means that they're not going to um, flood those plants with pesticides and all sorts of chemicals to extract the uh, cannabinoids. There are over 400 cannabinoids into the hemp plant and so you know that uh, there are many that we do not know what they do in our body um, we just focus on the cbd because it's the famous one in the moment um, is this is the fastest growing industry i believe because everybody's getting into the game everybody wants to be a farmer everybody wants to be a producer i mean there's so many um we are online stores popping up selling pet products that have CBD. And of course, our association, the Florida Veterinary Medical Association, uh, does not endorse the use of CBD and they guide us to be careful in endorsing it. However, because I am a alternative uh, healer, I have actually enrolled our practice into a national study, 20 practices um, treated 20 uh, patients. So our 20 added to or other 19 practices for a total of 400 uh, 
pets that were treated with CBD. And what the, this company wanted to know, A, does it work for arthritis? They were testing for arthritis, not for anxiety, not for appetite, not for seizures, just for arthritis. And they had a very well-designed study. And the study was um, you had a pain scale that you fill in the beginning. The owner fills the pain scale and some information and then we did CBD for, I believe it was six weeks, CBD um, oil that they provided, organic. Um, they're from Colorado, very good company. Um, and companion CBD, by the way, which is um, the owner is wonderful. And uh, companion CBD is expensive as compared to all the stuff, riffraff that you get into the gas stations. But it has been proven there is evidence, scientific evidence behind the use of, of that um, oil. And what we found here was very good results because I decided to use it on some dogs that were getting acupuncture and um, herbs or some of them that couldn't get the herbs. They got the acupuncture but couldn't get the herbs because they caused diarrhea or it caused something they were really finicky to eat. And so, of course, we did the oil, um, the oil for them. And we noticed a big improvement in mobility. So the animals were um, less anxious because of that. So we, we, it's a cascade. If you control pain, then the animal can sleep better, can be less anxious because it's not suffering. And... Um, it's better too because doesn't have pain. It's not preoccupied for pain. Then there's other survival instinct kicks in and there's other things to do. And so in our, in our 20 patients, we got 100% of them responding to it. To the same degree? No. Some of them were amazing. And the funny thing is it was the super geriatric ones, the ones that were 14, 15, 16, those were the ones that did the best. Um, so I feel that there's a use for it. There's a place and a use and a timing to use CBD oil. Uh, I think that sometimes the owners have very bad expectations because they expect to be a one-thing cure. Um, you give it and that's it. You don't have to do anything else. And what we learn about pain is that the multimodal approach which means multiple ways to control the pain. They all work synergistic, and that might include herbs. That might include acupuncture, cold laser. We have therapeutic ultrasound. We have um, uh, TENS. We have uh, other uh, modalities like chiropractic care um, and rehab. Rehab helping use the body uh, in a better way way so that the animal can compensate better, can correct certain um, problems with the gait and the positioning, and so and building up muscle, which are great things to help with pain. And so food approach, we can we can do a lot of supplements uh, to help like turmeric and boswellian. There's a lot of really good stuff out there, glucosamine, um, polyglycans, a, a lot of things that really help round up that uh, pain control. But CBD can 
definitely be a player in it. Definitely be a player, but is it the only one in this stage? I don't think so. Not even when it's for anxiety by itself. But when it's when um, we're talking about joint problems, I use also NSAIDs, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which are Western medicine. But occasionally you have to use it. And you have to use gabapentin, which is, a, a, again, another Western pharmaceutical, but it's used for neuropathic pain, to nerve pain. So those two can have side effects, of course. And if your pet is on one of them chronically and they develop liver or any kind of problem, then obviously we have options. And um, maybe CBD might be an option uh, in those cases. But I believe that if you cut the dose or the frequency of the gabapent, the Western drugs, then you can add something like CBD or, you know, glucosamine or any other of those um, natural, more natural uh, supplements and then achieve a synergistic effect in which the dog is acting a lot better, less pain, um, you know, and the arthritis pain is managed. Uh, dogs with cancer, I mean, cancer, you mentioned cancer in pets, it's, in, it's on the rise, at least. I've been a practitioner for 27 years, and I've either we're getting way better at diagnosing it, or we're definitely seeing a rise in cases. And so the, I've read that 50% of all adult dogs will develop cancer. That is astounding to me. It's crazy. It's like an epidemic. And so... How can we fight back, you know? How can we um, try to fight back against cancer? Well, again, there are a lot of uh, options out there. Allopathic, Western medicine has radiation and chemotherapy. They happen to be heat toxins. They happen to uh, be tough for the body. And you can actually ameliorate those uh, effects by using CBD and using herbs and using acupuncture and other modalities, or you can just go all alternative and use just those modalities that I mentioned, plus maybe CBD. And because the CBD has been researched in cancer, because when the people were proponing the use of marijuana, there's a lot of studies out there using the marijuana plant for uh, cancer, especially mammary cancer. And I remember there was a a study on uh, mice and mammary cells, and they found out that the survival time was significantly increased in those mice that had the CBD oil, and the tumors were not as big. So it slowed down the growth of the tumor. Again, it didn't treat the tumors. They still had cancer, but they lived longer and better lives with it. So again, um, some of the studies say that the CBD actually kills uh, cancer cells, um, and others uh, say that they mostly stimulate the system um, to make them more able to detect the cancer cells to the immune system. So, I mean, either mechanism, uh, it's not clear. There's not a lot of studies. There's every day there's studies coming out. And you re- research PubMed and you see a lot more studies coming out about CBD. So, this is a changing environment. So, it 
more evidence can come forward. Um, but right now, I don't know if it's directly killing the cancer cells or stimulating um, the, you know, the CD4 uh, and 8 lymphocytes, T lymphocytes. And I don't know the direct effect or the indirect effect, but there definitely is a slow um, slowing uh, of the growth. And so it's definitely worth using in those cancer patients. Dogs with seizures, I have not had great results with the dogs with seizures. Um, I think the post-dromal, which is after the effect of the seizure, when you give CBD, they're calmer because the seizure, what people don't know is that the seizure, it's a, a, a threefold event. Before the seizure, your dog's experiencing different symptoms and showing different things, signs. Then is the seizure event, which will be seconds to a couple of minutes. And then post that incident, post the seizure, it could be 24 hours, 48 hours, and your dog's still not well. So what I have seen is that when you do CBD oil for seizures, it's not that the seizures are stopped either, It's like with the cancer, is that the seizures are not as bad they don't seem to come in clusters, meaning like one after the other, it's just an episode in that. And that the post-ictal uh, phase, which is where after the, the, the seizure episode, uh, is shorter. So they're more themselves quicker. So instead of being a day or two days after the seizure, they're same day, maybe uh, early next day, they're back to normal. Dogs with anxiety, I tell you, I'm using CBD right now for a rescue Pluto. I re- we rescue, my daughter rescue a um, dog from China, from the meat market. And so he's beautiful. He's a Samoy, but he's extremely anxious. He has severe separation anxiety. Um, who can blame the poor guy? He just doesn't want anybody to leave him. And so we are going to have a research research paper by the time we control this anxiety because I have tried a lot of things uh, with him. And uh, one of the things that we tried is CBD. Has it worked? Not really. Um, Although there have been some studies with animals and it seemed like it helped uh, manage the, the effects of the anxiety. Um, in people, there are more studies about anxiety and depression. And the studies in humans where at least, you know, you can have the, the feedback, a little bit better feedback. And apparently for humans, they have pretty good strong evidence that it does help anxiety and depression. For dogs, not so much in my opinion. Um, I don't think that um, it, it relieves stress and anxiety. But I think it helps regulate serotonin. And serotonin is the good mood hormone. It makes you be more social, eat better, sleep better. So, I mean, if it does uh, boost the serotonin, then must have some sort of um, effect in there. And lastly, I wanted to talk about allergies because in my previous episode, we were talking about vitamin C given to those pets that have allergies, it might help 
uh, regulate the immune system a little bit better and help with the control of allergies. And Lord knows when you have an allergic pet, you're desperate. You just want the itch to stop and you want um, the pet to be happy and you want to sleep again because the dog doesn't let you sleep um, or they tear themselves apart, especially cats. They just pull their hair and they just look awful. So one of the things is that the endocannabinoid system is found in the skin. That's great news. That means that if you take CBD, then it will go there to that organ where they have receptors. So the CBD can perhaps help relieve the dry, the itchy skin, and the allergies. And it can actually promote the growth of healthy skin cells. Um, so I think that for all of the pet owners listening that have allergic dogs, and again, I count myself as one of them with Uli, um, that is a promising, um, promising use of CBD. When you're looking for the CBD, um, this is the, the dosages are going to vary so much. I'll tell you what the dosages we found in our study that we participated with the other uh, 19 clinics. And it was 5 milligrams uh, for small dogs, um, Sorry, 2.5 milligrams for small dogs, 2.5 milligrams of CBD for small dogs, 5 milligrams for medium dogs, and 7.5 milligrams for large dogs. That was the, the range of dosages that we tried and tested, and they were effective. When I look in those products, some of them advise extremely high doses, and I don't agree with that. Um, you have to have some sort of measurement of how much CBD uh, is in that oil, that it does not contain THC, that is organic, and that it doesn't get any um, ethanol in it because the ethanol, it's an extraction. They extract the the product with the ethanol and other solvents. And guess what? Some of that oils is going to destroy the, the, the hemp plant wax and structure. And that results not going to be, th- that oil is not going to be as powerful. So there are many ways of extracting it. Um, so if you do the pressure, you know, like a high pressure chamber, and then using CO2, um, that's another way of extracting it. And this kind of extraction is going to be a higher quality, higher concentration. Um, so that means that it's more in, in the oil of it. And those are the most expensive products. So if it's expensive, look at the extraction method. If they use ethanol, olive oil, any, or it says natural solvents, that's why. It's the cheapest way, you know. And and. You know, there's other certificate of analysis I've seen. Oh, certificate of uh, analysis uh, of CBD. I mean, you could, I mean, I don't know how valid those uh, organizations that certify the CBD um, quality are. I really don't have any opinion on it. On it. Um, but definitely look and make sure that they have studies behind it, that it is not full spectrum, 
that definitely does not contain any THC. Um, and a lot of people, that might be controversial because a lot of people say a little THC, less than 0.03%, like most of them say 0.03%. And that will be okay. It won't be harmful for your dog. And some advocates of the uh, CBD would say that you need a little bit of that THC for the dog. I prefer no THC, but if you have, I mean, if you only find one that contains 0.03%, that's okay too. So um, as long as it's organic and complies with the other stuff. So today I'm going to talk about spaying and neuter your pets and the pros and the cons. Uh, I know a lot of people will probably think, well, Dr. Vargas, you volunteer your time at the Humane Society of Polk County spaying and neutering dogs all the time, why would there be any cons? Well, like everything in life, there is yin and there's yang, and within the yin, there's some yang, and within the yang, there's some yin. So in other words, there are very few absolute truths out there. Basically, everything has a little bit of everything in it, <laughs> of something else in it. And so when it comes to spaying and neutering, I'm referring to removing the gonads, the reproductive organs on the dogs, um, the ability to reproduce. And of course, we know that in the United States of America, we have a big pet overpopulation problem. And about six to eight million dogs, depending on the articles that you read, um, every year between six and eight million pets are surrendered to shelters. And uh, it is just a sad situation because... Uh, even though they calculate that there's about 70 uh, million households uh, in the United States that have pets, um, there's not enough uh, for all of them. And of course, the necessity to then uh, euthanize or gentle death of a lot of these animals in the millions, it's necessary. And it is just such a sad occurrence. And how can we um, try to stop the loss of life of these dogs and cats. Well, um, spay and neuter is the one uh, thing that seems to be the solution of most experts. And I definitely want to uh, clarify that I am 100% um, for spaying and neutering pets, um, but that it depends on the timing and the breeds when to do it. Uh, so in my opinion, uh, I use the TCVM principles, and the TCVM principles, gonna, I'm going to go on that tangent and explain a little bit about it. The TCVM principles say that the gonads, uh, the, the testes and the ovaries, they also hold the, some jing. The J-I-N-G, the jing is the essence of life. It's held in the kidneys, but it's shared in the gonads. The kidneys and the gonads have a very strong relationship. And... Um, and they're definitely very um, affecting of each other. And so one of the things is when you spay or neuter too early, then you're affecting, affecting that quality and amount of the jing. Um, and what is the jing? Why is it so important? It's very important because it's the ability to replicate good cells and uh, repair. So it's your repair system. Um, so if you have disease, some of the cells die, and then you have the ability to produce 
healthy cells again and and continue. Um, we shed our GI, we shed our skin, uh, we shed hairs, and then we replicate. Um, we substitute them with new, brand new, healthy uh, ones usually. And in the case of cancer, with not so healthy ones. But um, as I mentioned before, the TCVM has a little bit of a different view about spay and neutering. And I have to say that my views on spaying and neuters, uh, neutering uh, dogs and cats, have changed a little bit. Not, not in the basic uh, concept of that is necessary to control pet overpopulation, but in the we should look at each individual, each pet, and see if this um, is the right thing to do, if, if the timing is right for that pet, um, is there any concurrent issues like gene deficiencies that maybe perhaps not neutering might be in the best um, interest of that pet. Okay, so first of all, I think that I need to say that, that um, TCVM uh, recommends, uh, and I remember this very clearly when I did Chi uh, University when I first was a, a baby acupuncturist, and I asked this to Dr. Shea, my mentor and the founder of Chi University, and he said, Mitzi, I would recommend for the animals to go through one cycle, and the way he explained it to me is that the first heat in the females and um, the first kind of surge of hormones and desire in the dog, which is usually about a year of age, um, that that was important rehearsal dinner. It's like before the, before the real wedding, you have a rehearsal and a rehearsal dinner. Well, um, the first heat is kind of that. Then you will uh, be married to the um, concept that you have to take them away. But before then, you at least make sure that the show's running like it should be running, right? And so the danger of running through one heat, especially for shelters, is that it goes against their belief of controlling the population. And that's why we see kind of like a little bit of difference of opinion. They would like to spay and neuter even as a baby. And of course, you know, uh, our shelter is a no-kill shelter and they're very understanding. And I usually try to convince them to wait 12, 16 weeks of age. But um, in many years ago, we used to do eight-week-old kittens and, and, and puppies. And so uh, at least we're waiting a little bit longer. But ideally, it should be uh, closer to a year would be a better idea and to run uh, the um, cycle. And that actually applies to the large breed dogs. Um, I'm not talking about little chichis, uh, although actually I would recommend to wait for them at least 10 months. But anyways, um, the large breed, um, there is a big difference between large breed dogs and giant breed dogs versus tiny or medium-sized dogs in the development because a little chihuahua develops uh, very quickly. They don't grow anymore, whereas a um, Burmese mountain dog or any of those big, large breed dogs, they could uh, continue to grow, some of them, past two years. I mean, the bones are not 100% set in stone. You know, they are modeling. They are changing. And so we can technically affect that modeling and changing on the bones if we neuter too early. Um in large breeds. Again, I clarify, I'm referring to large breeds. 
And so I, you know, have two of our clients involved in the Morris Foundation um, lifetime study on golden retrievers. Golden retrievers, they're a wonderful breed, uh, very popular, but they have a lot of incidents in cancer. And so the Morris Foundation took that over. They're just doing a big study with over 3,000 dogs and followed them through the, they're following them through their life and uh, figuring out what factors, you know, um, affect their health. Um, could they have numbers, big numbers, uh, uh, trends in the breed? And so one of the first uh, communications that I received from them after several years of studying these dogs was that they could see that there was an increased chance of certain uh, problems in females that were spayed before the first heat. So that study produced that um, big piece of information that kind of changed the minds of a lot of veterinarians. And our uh, curriculum 27 years ago would say spay and neuter early is easier, is more convenient, is definitely more convenient to the vet because the animal doesn't weigh much. Um, the track is very immature. The incision is small. They heal pretty fast. They, you know, they bounce back pretty fast. So we were looking at those as uh, great pros, you know, very convenient. But then the study came and just shed some light that maybe it's not as, you know, all is not as we thought. And so after that, there's many papers. Um, there's a paper about early neutering uh, in dogs uh, doubles the chance of hip dysplasia. Now, you're going to think, well, hip dysplasia, I thought it was the way the dog was born. And you're right. There is a certain set of characteristics of the hip. It's a ball and socket joint. And so in some hip dysplastic animals, the socket is very shallow or the ball, the ball of the femur, the head of the femur is not very uh, spherical. It's uh, abnormally uh, shaped. And those are predisposing factors to develop hip dysplasia. However, um, hip dysplasia, again, is uh, as the bones are modeling and growing, we've realized these large breeds, you can influence them. You can influence them positively or negatively. So, for example, if one of these large breeds, a golden, um, is growing and is very heavy at six months of age, you have an overweight animal, you are actually producing an animal with hip dysplasia because, or with only other um, orthopedic problems because the weight is too much and, and the bones are growing, they actually start stretching this way and your weight is counteracting the, the, um, the stretching or the growth of the bones directly counteracting it. And so that is not a good thing. It's not a positive. So I definitely recommend that uh, all dogs that are large breeds are maintaining a large breed food uh, specifically for those breeds. And they are maintained at an ideal or slightly below idea, ideal. And so I know it's hard because puppies are, a lot of them are food motivated, especially some breeds like Goldens are food motivated. But we have to be firm and just kind of like use other things to reward and teach and train than food with them. Because they tend to be round uh, very quickly. And again, we are hurting the joints. So that paper came out. Then another paper um, 
that said that early neutering increases joint disorders in dogs by four times. That was an, another paper. And I have some of these papers available. Um, you know, I can send the links if you're interested in learning about it. I can send you the links. But um, by four times. And so that is significant. Um, significant influence on the early uh, neutering in the joint development. Uh, there is another paper on German Shepherds that caught my attention because, of course, as most of my listeners know, I do have a white German Shepherd. His name is Uli, and he is the love of my life. And uh, so when I see something related to German Shepherds, I worry about him. I'm a dog mom, after all. And so when it says that it triples the risk of several joint problems in German Shepherds specifically. So when it comes to science, uh, you know, definitely these papers are, um, their studies, most of them, uh, you know, do not have a control group, but uh, most of them are just recollections of the animals that have been, um, you know, and you do a comparative a comparative study with the same kind of breeds that were presented as different uh, places. And some of them do have control groups, um, but it's, it would be a very hard um, study to make, I think, because you have to have genetically identical individuals. Um, but there is a, a paper out there that it says that neutering early decreases the longevity on Rottweilers. So what we're seeing is golden retrievers Rottweilers, German Shepherds, they're all large breeds, right? But even between the breeds, there are enough variables that affect um, their joints and affect their life and affect their growth. And so it's so important to not do medicine as the cookie cutter type because dogs are not cookies. Breeds are not cookies. They are all different. They're unique in, in their breeds. In, within the breeds, their variabilities too. And so we have to take those into account. And so do I spay a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd or a uh, Golden Retriever? Of course I do. Um, but I will probably ask the owner to wait uh, about a year of age. And uh, hopefully that will be past the first heat. Uh, and if we cannot for any reason go through the heat, um, then I would recommend to be as close to the heat as possible. In the case of uh, large breed dogs, I recommend 18 months to be the time for large breeds. Now, if, if there's a little Chihuahua or a Jack Russell, I do not have such a you know, strong feeling about it. If they're having some issues, then I would just pay or neuter them. More concerning is a paper that says that neutering increases the chances of cancer in dogs. And uh, what cancers? There's three main cancers, hemangiosarcoma and lymphoma and mast cell tumors. What are the three most common cancers that I see? Um, let me think. Lymphoma, hemangiosarcoma, and mast cell tumors. And so that's really worrisome to me because uh, I... Our oath is to do no harm. And so are we unknowingly participating in the promotion of cancer in our dogs? And I just, I'll, I'll just be heartbroken if it is that, um, if it turns out to be that way. 
Um, but I would recommend people to just know at least spain neuter, yes, but when is the most important question? When should I? And, and uh, in this case, if a pet is healthy, definitely there was a preparation to be spay and neuter too. Is your pet in a great health state? Because I remember uh, spaying and neutering um, cats and dogs that were found and, and uh, I feel like they had later on in life the most complications. You know, am I looking backward and reflecting on these? So I wonder um, if it was because at the moment of spay and neuter, they weren't in the best health state. So many years ago, about I've been doing this acupuncture and alternative journey for over 12 years, but close to when I first started, thanks to the inspiration by Dr. Shea, I started to look at all of this, and I decided a long time ago that I would look at this in an individual case-by-case situation, and I'm, I'm proud of that, uh, and also that neutering and uh, spaying are elective surgeries, meaning they can wait. So if you have mange or if you have, um, I don't know, intestinal parasites, it could be as simple as intestinal parasites, um, then I would just get rid of everything, make sure your pet is 100% healthy, and then spay and neuter. And so that is something that I'm proud of as our Springs because we look at the best um possible health uh, of the pet uh, in before they undergo a surgery. Now, a lot of things, uh, you know, that bother me about spay and neuter misunderstandings and misconceptions is that it is, uh, because it's an elective surgery, that, oh, it's just a simple procedure. Yeah, well, guys, it's not so simple, especially in the uh, space, because in the space, you have to open the abdomen. So there's a a plethora of complications that can happen uh, from healing, contamination, uh, this hissing, you know, the wound coming up part, um, bleeding um, undetected, um, you know, organ lacerations or problems, um, you know, with the gut motility, a lot of things that can happen when you open the abdomen. And so definitely, I would say um, that the animal has to be ha- healthy, that we should do some blood work, should be mandatory. In our practice, it is. I've heard of practices where it isn't. I would definitely want to know the state of the blood work in the pet before they go through surgery uh, because maybe in some cases, and I think I mentioned it in one episode before, of this um, this uh, Shih Tzus that had congenital kidney disease and uh, we didn't have our mandatory blood work at that time, and I didn't know that until I opened the dog. And that is not the best time to figure out that your pet has some congenital kidney disease, okay? And so um, I learned from that case. Uh, my cases, my patients are the best teachers in the world, and so I listened to them, uh, and I listened, and I learned from uh, the interventions that I have in their lives. So should we spay and neuter? Yes, we should. When, uh, that's what we have to consider. What is the best time to spay and neuter the pet? Does it have some cons? Yes. Does it have some pros? A lot of them. Not just controlling overpopulation, 
but um, certain aggression disorders uh, in dogs get better. Not all of them, not interdog aggression for sure, but definitely territorial aggression gets better. Certain cancers like uh, perianal adenomas are, are eliminated or almost eliminated when you neuter them. Um, pyometra, which is pus in the uterus and the chance, I mean, it could be fatal uh, if it's not uh, an open pyometra, that's eliminated by, by spaying. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of things to do. And, and, and even the procedures, you know, uh, a lot of European countries, instead of uh, doing an ovario hysterectomy, taking the uterus and the ovaries, they only take the uterus and then they leave the ovaries. Um, and they, that has some pros and cons too. So, I mean, I think the best advice that I can give you is to be aware that there are pros and cons, that not all is rosy, that there are some considerations, that it varies by breed, that it may or may not be the best at this time for your pet, and that you should sit down and talk to your veterinarian and ask these questions. And uh, I hope that that was something that was valuable for you and that you can take home. And please just always remember, we do have a Pet Healer Facebook page. We have a Pet Healer podcast uh, website. And your questions are always welcome. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. And remember that... From now on, we're going to be uh, downloading every Friday a brand new episodes. So you can be on the lookout for them. Uh, in the meantime, visit our Facebook page, the Pet Healer Podcast page. Uh, we also have a website, thepethealerpodcast.com. And uh, it, we are in most platforms, so you can uh, enjoy our topics. Thank you, and until next time, take care. And remember that... From now on, we're going to be uh, downloading every Friday a brand new episodes, so you can be on the lookout for them. Uh, in the meantime, visit our Facebook page, the Pet Healer Podcast page. Uh, we also have a website, thepethealerpodcast.com, and uh, it, we are in most platforms, so you can uh, enjoy our topics. Thank you, and until next time, take care. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. Information about this episode came from my book, Alvet, the Revolutionary Pet Care and Longevity Solution, available in Amazon at our clinic and soon to be an audiobook. So look forward to that. And this episode was sponsored by my practice, Orchid Springs Animal Hospital. And our website is www.osahvsinvictorets.com, osavets.com. There's a lot of information out there if you want some more information on integrative pet healing. And our Pet Healer podcast is going to be available in all platforms. So we're looking forward to seeing you again.